This is the Art of Living Well Radio Network. Radio to inspire enlightened living. You're listening now to the Honest to God series with Anne Gail Rose and Ahanu. Okay, well, you're very, very welcome to our Honest to God series radio show with Angel Rose and Ahanu. Unfortunately, Angel Rose can't be with us today. She is ill. She is here, present in the studio, though, and you may hear a racking cough from time to time as she struggles with overcoming this chest and throat infection that she's had for the last 10 days. So if any of our clients are out there who have booked a reading, uh, you will know that you have had to be postponed, and it's most unfortunate, but that's the way of it. Now, we have a wonderful guest today. Her name is Penny Kelly, and she is at pennykelly.com, and we're going to be speaking to her in great detail about consciousness and energy. And unfortunately, we don't have that regular input from our own Angel Rose, where she speaks about the weather. But we are, I can assure you, calling from beautiful, sunny San Diego, where the weather is absolutely glorious and spring is definitely in the air and the birds are singing and it is one happy place to be. There's no doubt about it. So, without further ado, Welcome to the Honest to God series, and this is Saturday, 20th of April, 2013. We're broadcasting at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Mountain, 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern, and either 3 o'clock, or I'm not sure if it's 4 o'clock Greenwich Mean Time, because we don't know if they've actually moved into Daylight Savings Time as yet. However, we've had Penny Kelly on several times discussing consciousness and energy, and her work with Dr. Levengood on crop circles, bovine incisions, and her encounter with the elves of Lily Hill Farm, and her subsequent book of that name, and of course the learning centre that she opened at Lily Hill Farm in Lawton, Michigan. For those of you that may have missed those episodes, here's a little update. Penny Kelly is a writer, teacher, consultant, speaker, publisher, and naturopathic physician. She has been researching and exploring consciousness, cognition, perception and intelligence for over 30 years and she's written six books of her own while at the same time publishes books on the subjects of spirituality and health for others. Penny shares with us today her experiences of consciousness and the growth of awareness. Now I mentioned Penny, Penny's learning center in southwest Michigan called Lily Hill Farm and Learning Center and we'll be talking a little bit about that today because we'll be including the elves that she actually saw and spoke to there at the farm and how they helped develop the farm and learning center. And she teaches courses there in developing the gift of intuition, getting well again naturally and organic gardening. She's been researching and exploring consciousness and all those things for a long, long, long time. And she, as I said, she's worked with Dr. William Levengood in his Pinelandia Laboratory near Ann Arbor in Michigan and she's been deeply involved in community gardening efforts as well. Her own small publishing company Kelly Networks publishes these books and one of them is The Evolving Human, another is The Elves of Lily Hill Farm that we spoke about, Robes, A Book of Coming Changes, Getting Well Again Naturally from the Soil to the Stomach, Consciousness and Energy Volume 1 and Consciousness and Energy Volume 2. We have all the books and they are absolutely stunning. There's no doubt about it. 
Penny maintains a large counselling practice, works as a consultant to schools and corporations, and raises organic vegetables, cows and chickens. And she is a mother of four children, has co-written 14 books with others, and has written six books of her own, I have already mentioned. So we will be going through all of these. And we will be speaking in particular about Kundalini, because she had a Kundalini experience way back, I think it was 1987. We're going to talk about how children learn, the men in brown robes, the environmental impact of unsustainable farming. We're going to talk about the Mayan calendar, earth changes, increases in frequency, money, complementary currencies, ETs, life on other planets, manifesting with consciousness and energy, near-death experiences, life after death, overcoming death, lucid dreaming, astral travel, and living in the moment. Wow, haven't we got a lot in store for you today. So let's welcome Penny Kelly. Is this Ahanu? This is Ahanu. Let us begin, Penny, because we know you're tight for time and we want to try and condense this too and make it fruitful and very, very beneficial. The last time you were on, many, many people commented to us individually and on the blog that your information is just terrific. Your information is amazing. And you're, you're really, really serving, obviously serving others, serving yourself, serving life by opening up people's minds to this concept of consciousness and conscious awareness. So we want to talk about your books. Now, we've gone through in great detail the first of your energy and consciousness book, volume one, uh, where where you've talked a lot about crop circles and Mm -hmm. Dr. Levengood and how he emerged. He was afraid, first of all, to be... To be blacklisted, I suppose, by mainstream science. And then he began to realize that there is more to this consciousness stuff, to this energy stuff than meets the eye. And he published papers and so on, and people began to realize that, yes, indeed, there is more to these crop circles. Did you find that all of that validated you in some way? Because you've been at this for for years and years beforehand. I think it did. Um, For years and years before I met him, I would think to myself, Science should be looking at this. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I wonder, you know, how could I, where could I? And I was afraid to speak out myself in many, many ways. Yes. And so I kind of was holding back. And and yet there was always this wish that science would investigate some of the things that I had found to be true just doing my own kind of research. Mm-hmm. So when Dr. Levengood's uh contact person contacted me and invited me to come over. I was very excited. At the same time, I was thinking, what if he's shallow? What if he's not, um, you know, what if he isn't honorable? What if he just is trying to debunk the whole thing and it's a come on? And so I was very, very wary when I went to visit him the first time. And within the first I'd say 15 to 20 minutes, I thought, this guy is for real. He was so interested and so curious, and he would make these little comments from time to time. Well, that ties in with this. Well, that we think is connected to this, and da-da-da. And I began to see that there was a whole world of possibilities in, you know, just knowing him, being able to talk with him. And so I was, I came out of there uh, and drove home thinking, 
oh, wow, someone to actually work with. And it just turned out to be a wonderful collaboration. Right, so. right. Now, have you ever found that any of the crop circles might be negative in, in any way? Um, what do you mean by negative? Negative in their energy? Well, yeah, negative or not really real? No, no. What I what I mean is that most of the crop circles that we've encountered in our work and in all of the conscious awareness type of work that we do we find that the geometries are very pleasing to the eye. They seem to be very supportive. But there's an odd one there that we have to say we get a little twinge and we feel, oh, I wonder where that came from and what that, the intention of that is. Do you understand my question? Is, is there, are there forces, in other words, that could possibly be manipulating stuff for, to our detriment, do you think? Uh, yes, there are. There are mm. forces that could be. Um, and let me say that the crop circles are just information. And information is just information. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's kind of redundant there. But the fact is that um, information can be used for good or for ill. And you have to take information. I, I think we, as a people would love to think that we really don't have to pay much attention, and we do. Mm. We have to be looking always at the big picture, what fits in that, what doesn't fit in that, and very often what we perceive to be something negative is not really negative from the point of view of Mother Nature at all. Right. It's not something that we need to worry about, and if it does appear to be quote-unquote negative, sometimes the oomph or the push in that information is get off your dupa and do something different. Think about this and counter this. Put some time and energy into changing how you are and those kinds of things. And we very often are upset, but the it's actually good in the long run that we get those kinds of um, you know, it's kind of like a kick in the butt, yes. and, and we need those from time to time. Right. And do you think that when somebody lays down a pattern on the earth, whether it's by way of an energetic imprint like a crop circle, or whether it's just the layout of roads or cities, any kind of an imprint that might go down on the earth, do you think it affects the energetic grids of the earth in any way? Oh, yes. Yes. In fact, we came to the conclusion that the... Um, crop circles are the Earth's chakras, and they are very, very obvious in a few places. In the same way that the human chakra is very obvious in certain places, mm-hmm. and the information, the the object, the goal, the actual work that goes on with a chakra or within a chakra is an exchange of information. So the earth is taking in information from the field of information she's floating in, and she's also giving off information. And because everything is consciousness, those circles can be impacted by consciousness. It's just that plain and simple. Mm. The earth and her consciousness is communicating with us and our consciousness And there was a point long ago where I thought, how could one person just affect 
the consciousness, you know, of the planet. Mm-hmm. And it, it began to be clear to me then that the earth is aware of every one of us, every single consciousness. And she's responding to mm-hmm. that consciousness. And we are not realizing how important it is to do something different there with right. our own consciousness. Yes. Now, I have the benefit on two counts here. The first one that I've read your books, Energy and Consciousness, and let me recommend to our listeners that they go to pennykelly.com and actually get hold of those books because they are enlightening, there's no doubt. I'm sure they can get them on Amazon also. But the second count where I have a benefit is that I come from Ireland where people are very aware of the grids of the earth, very aware of the connection between sacred sites very connected to the earth and you can feel the palpable energy of the earth. Now, that's not so much the case in the United States. Is is there some way that people can become more aware of how important that is, Penny? Wow. I, you know, I'm not sure what it would be. It really, it's a one person, one choice kind of affair. You have to be willing to sit down and study if you, and I'll say without meaning to insult any of those people who are involved in media, that if you're just looking at the standard media that is owned by a couple people who are using all of the news channels for propaganda, Mm. then you're not going to get the truth. And you're not going to get a very broad cross-section of thinking. And so if you're just swallowing that and thinking that you're informed, um, you know, I'm sorry to say that you're missing probably 90% yes. of the information that is valuable. And so if people are not willing to take that on personally and look and think and study and talk, if they just want to poo-poo something, then, you know, they can do that. I don't have any argument with that. I just um, know for a fact, for a scientific fact, that there's a lot more going on, and the old, uh, the old ancient knowledge is beginning to seep back in. Yes. So I'm very grateful for that. Yes, indeed. Now, I want to stay along the same track, but move slightly away from crop circles. By way of asking you, it has been our experience that a lot of people seem to connect crop circles with UFOs and with an alien invasion and disclosure and all that kind of thing. Is there any connection between those two in your experiences and your work with Dr. Levengood? I have to say no. Mm. Um, I do think that people, but that let me say that's not an exclusive no. Let me put it that way. Okay. Okay? In the main, those crop circles that appear and disappear are vortex, they are plasma vortex patterns, and plasma is consciousness in motion, Mm -hmm. and those patterns can be triggered by us, the living human beings here on the planet, by the planet herself, and by beings who are what I would call off-planet, even though they may not really technically be off-planet. There are a number of layers of dimensions um, here on, on this planet that are just not easily visible to us, 
those uh, that's simply because those beings have developed themselves to an extraordinary degree and have learned to manage their consciousness with a degree of of a skill that would just you know blow most people's minds mm-hmm. those beings are in communication with beings from other systems and there's an entire an amazing array of of other forms of life and consciousness that exist everywhere. It's all life. And so yes. most people just say, oh, it's got to be a UFO because it's uh, because they don't have any other explanation. Yes. But I think what we have done with, with Consciousness and Energy Volume 2 is begin to offer a science perspective, a scientific perspective that says, hmm, Okay, this is what we put together, you know. Yeah. Uh, UFOs may put in a signal or two, or a crop circle or two, but by and large, the majority are the planet communicating um, with other planets in the solar system and just giving off information as well as taking in information. Right. Okay, now, you wrote a fabulous book, uh, and we've actually read it to our grandchildren, uh, called The Elves of Lily Hill Farm, and that's where you live in oh. Michigan. And uh, that book is about your encounter with elves and elementals. Now, we found that not only was it a wonderful read, but also you were actually coming out in the mainstream and saying to everybody that you actually heard and saw elves and fairy creatures. Now, to us, like I said, with the benefit of coming from Ireland, we grow up with this understanding and this belief, and it's not a problem for us to to witness this kind of thing. But for most people in the Western mindset, to say that you saw an elf and heard an elf or a sprite or any one of those elementals, did you encounter a lot of backlash from that? No, I was surprised. I was afraid when the book came out that I was going to get a lot of ridicule and I was um, surprised in exactly the opposite direction. Everybody else that came into contact with me came out of the closet about their own experiences. Right, yes, yes. That was a big, um, it was comforting Mm -hmm. um, to say the least. And so I uh, Mm. would have to say there's been a lot more experience People are having much broader experiences than are generally acceptable conversational items in our culture. Right. And is that because the veils are thinning in some way, that more people are being exposed to this kind of thing? I think it is. Uh, I call the veil. The veil is just simply a set of electromagnetic frequencies. It's a range of frequencies at which your brain can operate. Um, if you don't have a very broad range, then you're not going to have very many what are termed spiritual experiences mm-hmm. and or, or just other kinds of experiences. New age sometimes is a label that is put on all of that. Yes. But as, as you move up in consciousness, as you begin to expand the range at which your brain can operate and pick up information at, you began to be, uh, at least I was, just blown away by all of the um, life forms, all of the forms of intelligence out there mm-hmm. seeking to communicate with us 
and trying to get us to say, come on, come on, come on, wake up. Yes. You know, we are waiting for you. We can't go any further. So. Yes. Now, anybody who has ever seen one of these elementals has always reported a joyful exchange, a wonderful feeling. Has your experiences been limited to the the elf characters, or were you able to experience further variations, let's call it, variations of those type of uh, elemental forces? Lots of variations. The yeah. elves were just the first. Right. And I had a hard time accepting that they were elves, okay? Hmm. And then I began to discover that I could communicate with the wind and the rain and Mother Earth and fire and water and then I began to discover that there were fairies, and then I began to see divas, and the, they are the most gorgeous creature beings. They're not really creatures in the mm. sense of, like, plants and animals. Mm. They are beings made of light. Um, they're just, there's, like I said, there are, um, an ama- there's an amazing uh, number mm-hmm. of intelligences uh, all associated with what I'm going to call um, the nature kingdom. And then there's an amazing assortment of characters associated with the human, um, what I would call the everyday ordinary human. Um, and then, you know, lots of beings who have gone to the other side that really haven't gone very far at all um, and are still hanging around. Some look pretty scary, some look normal, um, some go to some of the places that I've been to on the other side and begin the healing process and begin to study their life. But there's a lot of, of beings, you know, above us that are, um, I can only refer to, I, I can see why people will believe in angels yes. and um, all of that because there's just this whole um, you know, other set of dimensions. Yes. And I think it goes on even way above that. Yeah. Now, I want to ask you about the effect on children and how we bring up our children. And I want to tell you one story by way of an example. When my when my daughter, Emer, was about six, I'd say she was, we were on the edge of a lake in a beautiful part of Ireland called Glendalock. And she said, look, Dad, I can control the wind. Okay, and I I didn't poo-poo it, but I said, yes, sure, go ahead. I encouraged her. Now, it was a very calm day. The, the lake was like glass. It was so smooth. And she stood on this rock at the lake's edge, and she raised her arms, and she mumbled something. I don't know what language it was, but she mumbled something anyway. And then she said out loud this string of words. And the next thing, I couldn't believe it, but this wind ripped through across the surface of the lake and shook all the trees all around us and, and stirred up the lake. Now, I said, whoa, that's amazing. Now, afterwards, uh, uh, afterwards, we, we were speaking to another colleague of ours at the time, a spiritual lady, and I asked her about that in the presence of Emer. And I was stunned by her response. She said, oh, you shouldn't have done that. She said, this is like, yeah, this is like the effect of the butterfly flapping its wings in Asia and causing a tsunami somewhere else in the world. She said, you know, you don't know the effect of what you just did, that it might have caused devastation somewhere else. Well, do you know something? I could not, I could not take back her words. 
the damage was already done and I could see Emer cringing and, you know, really, really being deflated by yep. that lady's words. Now, I'm telling you that story because I do believe that uh, our upbringing crushes this possibility out of us. Uh, for example, another little story is our own granddaughter here in in uh, California. She was in school one day. She's just turned seven now, and she was talking about fairies to her friend, another seven-year-old, and she said, oh, fairies don't exist. You know, don't be stupid. And she came home almost in tears. Do you that is so common. Yeah. Now, what I want to ask you, though, by way of opening up the possibility, there's a, an argument that we, we shouldn't foster fantasy in our children and that they should be practical and real and learn to keep their feet on the ground and so on. And then there's the other side of things that imagination is is everything. Imagination is our power. Imagination is our ability to create images and visions and manifest things into our reality. What, what do you say to all of that? Wow. Well, first of all, um, the idea that, uh, that that's just fantasy is the reason, you're exactly right, why the gifts get crushed mm. before they ever even get out of the garden. They're, they're turned under, you know, mm. and, and crushed by sod. The, um, the truth of the matter is that consciousness has no limits. And the imagination is the tool that consciousness uses to, or that we can use to manage consciousness. So when, I'll tell a little story of my mm. own. Mm. When I was with the little men in brown robes. The um, we had there was one of their visits that focused on the this whole problem of children and sex and education and what were we doing to our children and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And one of the things the little men said was uh, they asked me a question. They all looked at me with this you know very intense. Uh, kind of a, okay, give, give us your best answer kind of look. And the question was something along the lines of, why do you think that everything seems possible to a three-year-old? And mm. I, I was just like unable to say anything. And, and I, I think I mumbled something about because they haven't learned reality yet or they haven't understood that all of that stuff is not possible. Okay. And they immediately said that is not true. Mm. What they are demonstrating to you is that they are ready to begin learning to manage their consciousness in ways that would take them far, far beyond the limitations that you people all believe in. Yes. However... Since you are terrified of raising children who would be more powerful than you, you continue to squash each child and to make sure that they have rough lessons in being, quote-unquote, realistic, so yes. that you never have to deal with their power. Yes. And I was just stunned by that answer. Oh, God. Now, for those, for our listeners' benefit, you mentioned about the men in brown robes. Can you just quickly explain what that is and who they are? Uh, right, yes, right after the uh, Kundalini experiences began, uh, this group of little men, 
looked like a bunch of little monks wearing mm. brown robes, most of them bald as a billiard, <laughs> um, would appear in my kitchen or my living room, and they were always um, very, very gracious, very upbeat, very kind, uh, very persistent, and they would say, we have some pictures we want to show you. Mm. And I did not know what was happening to my consciousness at that time. I didn't know that what I was struggling with was something called Kundalini. I just knew that all of a sudden I was clairvoyant, clairaudient, uh, clairsentient. I didn't even have those terms at that point. Yes. But anything I wanted to know, I could I could know. Anything I wanted to see, I could see. Mm-hmm. Um, voices, all kinds of things. So in the middle of all of that comes this group of little men, about a half dozen of them, mm-hmm. and appeared in my kitchen and I realized much later that they are a group who travel the universe of beings looking for people who are, who have awakened and who are struggling with that. And what they offer to do is help with that awakening by giving you information. Mm-hmm. Now, if I had had some background in, you know, meditation and, and kundalini and metaphysical something, anything, mm-hmm. it probably would not have been as difficult, but I didn't have any background, and so I just thought it was another form of insanity, and and it took a while, it took a couple of visits before I was willing to look at their pictures, but once I did, every visit brought tons of information about how the world was going to change and why it had to change, and what we could create if we were willing to take that on. Right. So that was my experience with them. Okay. Now, what do you think? What do you think? What I want to ask you is, what do you think they think of us? Or what do the fairies and devas and and sprites and spirits and things, what do they all think of us? Um. Well, there's a considerable amount of sadness um, when they when they focus on us specifically. In the main, they are incredibly joyous. They are very lighthearted. They are always willing to listen and to communicate. And they may not respond instantly because they have their own agendas, but they are wanting us to wake up because it pains them to see us hurt ourselves. Yes. That is something that that they always, always, you know, made clear to me that we were doing these things to ourselves and that it was, not, there was no need to. Yes. The other thing is that they are very, very concerned that we are not waking up, that we are not taking responsibility for what we're doing on the planet for the creation that we're creating. Yes. And that we keep passing off that responsibility to quote unquote God. And they are wanting us to evolve and because the entire system, we live in a reality system. And that entire system is has a destiny to evolve to become an eternal system. And their concern is that we are not um, evolving, and therefore there's only two paths for a planetary or, or a system, a reality system. One path is the path of evolution and moving to become an eternal 
uh, system, an eternal world mm -hmm. that is made of light and has moved past death. The other path is total destruction. Yes. Um, and if you do not evolve, you will devolve. You, you wrote very beautifully about the impact that your way of living and your way of working on your farm, Lily Hill Farm in Lawton, Michigan, how the use of pesticides on your farm and your, your, your farming practices and so on was having a detrimental effect on these beings who were also living there. Can you talk to us about the bigger impact on the planet from the agricultural practices and the, 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 the way we do things? How serious is it, in other words? Mm, it's very serious. Um, okay, let's just start with the premise that the task we have in front of us is to learn to nurture life. Now, there's there's a whole long thing about the the development of a lineage of craftsmen. They're, they were called the crafters or the craft makers or sometimes just the makers. And for tens of thousands of years, that lineage has been developing. And what it has led us to is the atomic bomb and pesticides and things of that sort. When we decided to uh, to begin to use chemistry, chemicals, and to not utilize the gifts that nature had given us, the primary gift being our consciousness and learning to develop that consciousness, we started on a path that typically leads to um, destruction. Yes. So the spraying of pesticides is um, is does not nurture life. The task, the final test, bottom line for any person of consciousness is this: is what you are doing nurturing life or leading for the death of something or someone? Mm -hmm. So that is one premise. A second premise, and that's just pesticides and things of that sort. Hmm. I think a second premise has to do with the um, the fact that we are, um, in terms of agriculture, we are not getting high energy forces into the food. Hmm. And so one of the things that became clear, you know, when I was working with the elves, I learned a great deal about agricultural science, um, partly because of them, partly because I was trying to improve the product on our farm, mm. and so on and so forth. And it became clear after a while that the food did not last. It didn't hold up without a refrigerator yes. because it was so poorly grown. And it was, and it is the task. We live in an integrated system. It is the task of insects to destroy any plant that is not healthy. Right. It's kind of like the mother kitten who will lay on a sickly, uh, or the mother cat who will lay on a sickly kitten to destroy that kitten. Very much like the old midwives practices. Um, that were, you know, if a child was born deformed or defective, obviously deformed or defective, they would often smother it because no one could afford to be dealing with that kind of illness. We didn't have big societies for 
you know, Alzheimer's and polio and asthma mm. and all the things that are wrong with us now. Mm. Um, and every single individual had to pull their own weight. And if it looked like somebody was not going to be able to do that, they saved that child the suffering and they smothered it. And that was a practice. So and now here we are today. We have factory foods that have zero nutrition in them. Mm. Nothing that the body can use to rebuild itself. And every day, the body has to rebuild itself. Or, if it doesn't, it very slowly degenerates Mm. and goes downhill. And the list of things that are the results of degeneration is probably two pages long in a book with single space and, you know, Yes. No, no periods, just a long list. Every, you know, it's an unbelievable list of things that are not working well for us because the body does not have the supplies it needs to rebuild itself perfectly. Yes. So the uh, agriculture system is taking us down. Uh huh. And when we damage the earth, in that way, and I'm just speaking purely from a 3D perspective. When we, when we damage the soil and the plants and change the genetic structure of them, how does that affect a being that's living in a in a different dimension, like, like the fairies and the elves and elementals? I mean, I, I'm trying to bridge the gap between how that physical change affects them. Well, um, okay. There's a couple of things. The, first of all, the, um, the energy of a, I'm going to use a carrot, for example, or an mm. apple, or a human, mm. or a dog, or cat, or cow, or whatever, chicken. Mm. Um, those energies are incredibly intelligent. And they are communicating among themselves all the time in, within a being whether that being is a carrot or an apple or a plant or, you know, Mm. something else, or a human. And and it's also communicating with everything around it. Those are plasmas. Those, quite often, those are plasmas, and plasmas are something that I talk about in Volume 2. But when you've damaged the 3D spectrum of Mm. things, the energetic spectrum, the plasma spectrum, then focuses entirely on trying to rebuild. As it focuses on that, it doesn't have the uh, bandwidth, so to speak, to focus on much else until the form that it is trying to create and express itself through is back to perfection. So as we damage the earth, that earth is basically unable to evolve any further because right. she is now not able to express her perfection. Same with plants, same with animals, same with humans, all the way along mm. the spectrum. So would you say then, Penny, that this is what's going on with Mother Earth? You know, when we talk about tsunamis and volcanoes and earthquakes and earth changes in this great time of change, is that as a result of the damage that humanity is causing through our inability to be consciously aware of the full spectrum? Um, I'm going to say yes and no. Yes, there has been some response of systems to 
what to the damage that we've done. But the damage that we've done is really pretty um, minimal in some ways at the level, at the 3D level. Um, the the biggest difficulty or the biggest cause of climate change right now is the very foolish heating of the atmosphere to 18 million degrees centigrade by harp machine. Mm. Where's that heat going to go? You know, where do they think that's going to dissipate to when we are enclosed in an atmospheric shell? Mm -hmm. So the whole idea that humans are responsible for climate change is true, but not you and, you know, not the huge majority. Yes. The carbon dioxide is is going up, is, is... the skyrocketing, but that is not the cause of climate damage. That only makes, uh, when CO2 goes up, it makes it easier for plants to survive. And because we are doing so much damage to our plant kingdom, that CO2 is a benefit to plants and the need for plants to survive. Mm-hmm. And and we aren't looking at it that way. And if you see some of the latest charts, what you see is that the CO2 is going up, but the planet is actually getting colder now. And we are probably into a period of time in which it may get pretty chilly, longer winters than we have had more ice. Well, we're starting to see that already. Now, in terms of the... the, The bigger picture, let's step out from the 3D just for a moment and look at the the Let's look at the Mayan calendar and those predictions for climatic changes, earth changes. Were they predicting that humanity wouldn't be able to nurture the earth or wouldn't be able to grow in awareness? Or were they just looking at a a cycle that goes round and round and round, irrespective of what we think or do? Gosh, you know what, Ahano, I really don't know a whole lot about the Mayan calendar, the predictions. I never really paid all that much attention to that. But what I did know about that was that, um, you know, and this came from a number of, of conversations with Carl Kellerman, um, so it's not my own firsthand knowledge, but he was um, insistent right from the beginning, and I agreed with him <clears throat> that it was a, that we were going to experience a change in consciousness and an increase in the frequency at which our brains um, would operate at. And as that frequency went up, time would seem to get faster and faster and faster. People would have more difficulty catching up, and that we would have to, at some point, after we reach this 2012 peak, we would have to make adjustments in how we lived, or we would probably come apart. Right, right. And that... that Potential. I mean, I'm sure in in all life there's always multiple timelines and multiple potentials. Mm-hmm. Do you do you perceive? And and I know it's a, it's asking you to make a, little, a judgment, and we want to try and stay away from judgments. But it, do you perceive that we're in some way edging closer to that disaster? Um. Uh, well, yes, we're edging closer to the disasters. But I also see at the same time this huge underbelly of people who are sort of biding their time, twiddling their thumbs, waiting for the right moment. Yes. And if that right moment to 
to move into action that is toward what I'm going to call the path that leads to life and evolution of humanity, if that doesn't happen pretty soon, then there will probably be some difficulties that we will have to go through. Hmm. Um, In other words, if we don't come to a natural opening where we can move in that direction, Hmm. there's probably going to be some uproar that will create one. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because it has been our experience in all of the work we've done over the last long number of years. There has been a huge dissatisfaction in people's lives. We've seen big increases in suicide. We get calls all the time for Angel Rose to do readings for people who are depressed, they're they're, uh, suicidal, and they're attributing it to all kinds of different things. But we also have people who know that they have incredible abilities. And like you said, they're waiting. It's like as if they're waiting for the opportunity mm-hmm. to actually right. bring those gifts out and change the world. But they, they have been made small by the society. They've, they've been made to feel insecure. And they, so they lack courage and they lack resources. And they, they feel that they don't have their family support and the support of their peers. So they feel isolated and alone. Now, it's changing, though. This is the thing, as you mentioned, it's changing. And somehow, you know, the work that you do and the work that we do and various, what seems like individual efforts are becoming more and more cohesive as time goes on. We're witnessing that. We're seeing that. So the outlook to us is is actually very, very hopeful. You know, we always project a solution rather than focus on the negativity that's going on. Mm -hmm. And, And I would agree. I have seen, you know, when I first started... Um, with Kundalini 35 years ago, it was just, or whatever, it's been 34. Um, it's been a, just a slow but steady increase in awakening, mm-hmm. awareness, in consciousness, in people getting, I think the media has been a huge distraction there. And I'm going to say there's been a, um, until just recently, a terrific level of naivete and the propaganda machines have been able to really fool most of the people most of the time. And that is shifting now and uh, has mm. shifted. Yes. And uh, quite a few people are saying, now wait a minute, <laughs> you know, the, let's just look at this big picture here. And a lot of things are beginning to be clear that um, there's there's an agenda that is not too healthy. Um, and you know, people don't fight against it, and and I think that's very, very wise because yeah. when I was with the little man in brown robes, and I may have mentioned this before, but it bears repeating again, it was not going to be effective for us to fight the system that was. The only thing that worked was when we simply dropped out of that system. Yes. And Let's, it just falls apart. Penny, let's talk about that and some solutions when we come back after this quick studio break. This is the Art of Living Well Radio Network. Radio to inspire enlightened living. The Honest to God series with Anne Gail Rose and Ahanu. 
And let us remind our listeners that you're listening to the Honest to God series with Angel Rose and Ahanu. And our special treasured guest today is Penny Kelly, who can be contacted at pennykelly.com. Okay, Penny, we are speaking about the possible solutions to all of these problems. And you mentioned about that growth of awareness and uh, cohesiveness starting to appear. And are there any other things that people could do specifically? Oh, wow. Yeah, you know, I just, and I don't have it in front of me, but I just sat down uh, probably about a week ago, and I looked at all, uh, like, 12 different sectors within our society, education, politics, etc., um, looking at what is, um, you know, what is now, what's the basic underlying principle um, now, and, and what is the working principle that the, you know, that the future is about. And so I remember a couple of those. One of the um, things that was uh, political, for instance, Right now, the whole goal uh, and the whole operational matrix of politics is power mm-hmm. and control. And in the future, it's families. Governance is done, it's a self-governing system, and it's done through families. And it's very, very different. Um, education moves from one-size-fits-all education to um, the each child is evaluated carefully to see, to hear, to observe what are this child's gifts. Mm-hmm. And the educational program is designed and developed for that child. Mm-hmm. Education, people do not send their children out to school anymore mm-hmm. um, to, you know, be in a clique of other children. Children learn by observing, and yes. they observe other immature, selfish Undeveloped children as their models, when they really should be in with adults, talking, learning, being productive. Children are incredibly productive. Mm. And that is, within a family, that is truly a gift. And I know that firsthand because my mother was one of 14. You know, we had our the children, grandchildren here. Um, when they all grew up and left, Wow. It put a huge dent in our capacity to do some of the work and make some of the money that we had been making on the farm, et cetera. But you have to let those children go into the world. Yes. Um, medicine, you know, in the future, right now it's all chemicals mm-hmm. and surgeries and um, drugs and things like that. In the future, it's almost all biological and light and sound. Mm. and uh, adjusting your plasma frequencies back to what I call reset conditions so that um, whatever disease you had is just it's, it's just erased. It's gone yes. in a matter of minutes. Um, there are issues, I think, that are pretty obvious right now with money. Um, right now we have a Federal Reserve System and Central Banking System, and that's pretty corrupt. And what we have in the future is this amazing variety of um, what I'm going to call uh, like complementary currencies. If you read Bernard Leotard and his books um, on the future of money, 
Mm-hmm. You begin to get an idea of where we're going with money. Um, Bernard is an amazing fellow. Um, and he, you know, he, he says, don't even talk about alternative currencies because what you're suggesting then is that, um, this alternative is better than that. And so yes. you're still inviting the whole judgmental thing. Mm-hmm. What you want to talk about is complementary currencies, a set of currencies, some that are food, some that are for, for instance, travel, some that might be for housing or for clothing, some that might be for um, mowing the lawn or taking care of, you know, your grandparents, your aging ones, etc. So there's a whole set of complementary currencies that will um, grow up and take shape. Hmm. Technology, you know, right now technology is pretty destructive in some ways, um, and yet without that technology, we would not have freed up enough people to be unemployed long enough to be saying to themselves, well, what do I want to do? You know, how do I get money? And to be asking all those questions Hmm. that need to be asked so that you can get new answers. Mm-hmm. So everything has just a few. Yes, it seems that everything has its purpose. Then, at some level, there's there's learning right. to be done. There's awareness to grow. Yes, that's right. Okay, are you aware of other planets that have life just like this one? Yes, I am. At least a half dozen. Okay, and are they in? Are they in this this universe as we know it, or are they outside of that, outside the galaxy, or really neighbors here? Um, there are some in this galaxy, and a couple that are not, in the, and that's only a very limited amount of my experience. Hmm. Um, I love to go exploring, um, but when I go exploring, when I set out to do some research in a particular area of consciousness, I will typically commit at least a few months to maybe a few years. Um, and and that way I'll visit or I'll travel or I'll have an experience again and again and again and again. Uh, it's like when you go to visit your grandma, you um, observe that, you know, when you're first visiting her, um, you know, you might be two or four or five years old, but as you visit again and again, things change, mm-hmm. you know. She paints the living room or she gets a new dress or, mm-hmm. you know, and so you have this picture that begins to develop of how your grandmother lived. Well, when you do the same, when I do that with other places, I will visit again and again. I keep notes. And and what develops is a picture of how those people live, what kind of technology they have, um, you know, et cetera. Right now I'm working on where do people go after they die. And I, you know, I got interested in that because I lost my own mother um, back in January. Right. And so I took her over to the other side several times beforehand. And um, and several other people heard that I was doing that for my mother and said, would you take my mother over? And so I started doing that for other people who hmm. were very close to death and could um, predict usually within two days when they were going to leave because it's a decision. Yes. And so 
Yes. Now that's lots a, to be said there. Yes, that's a whole discussion on its own right. Uh, in fact, that's probably another mm-hmm. book for you because there's so much. Good, <laughs> that's a wonderful service you're providing, and there's wonderful material there. But let's come back to these other systems, these other planetary systems, or these other life forms that you you speak mm-hmm. about. Can you be more specific? Like, where are they, and what are they like, and can others go there, just like you've done? Yes, others can go there. I think others do go there. They just are not conscious of doing so. Mm-hmm. Um, the One of the gifts of Kundalini that is very hard to explain is that you have a capacity to be in two places at once, or three even. Mm-hmm. And so there are times when I will be in two places at once and very conscious of both places. Sometimes more conscious in one than in the other, but sometimes it's pretty even Stephen kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, I have connections and have been to visit in the Pleiades a number of times. I have some connections. Um, I have been to visit Sirius. I have a few connections um, with Arcturus and um, and mostly because there are beings that I met from those places okay. who, you know, made it clear that I was welcome. And let me ask you this other question, like when I asked about the crop circles. Are those beings supportive of us, or are they they out to take our resources or infiltrate or take over? Is there any negative possibility with any of those beings? Well, there might be, but I have to say that in 35 years, I haven't found any. Um, and in the, you know, years before that, when I was um, in contact with them before Kundalini occurred, there was nothing bad or negative that occurred. Quite the contrary, in fact. What I've observed is that um, there were, according to my, what I've been able to learn in from some of these other groups, is that there were a group of five um, different planetary systems who came together to seed this, the earth and to seed life here. And the goal was to create a, a form of life that was completely self-sustaining and self-renewing because that is not the case on other planets. And I've been to some of those places and have seen what they have and the, the little bit of green they have um, and they struggle to nurture that little bit of green, either because they've destroyed their plant or because they didn't have an integrated, self-sustaining system of life to begin with. They had some other mm-hmm. thing, but they like our green and they like our plants, and so they take some of those. They try to nurture those, much like, you know, you might bring an orange tree up to um, Michigan and put it in a greenhouse in hopes that you can keep it alive. Right. Um, so there are other places that um, other beings that have were involved in seeding this place, and they really don't want to see that effort um, go downhill. They don't want to see us destroy it, and um, we are, I think, in danger of destroying quite a bit. And yes. they have been taking samples for quite a long time because, quite frankly, they do not believe we are going to survive and that we, that they will need to reseed the planet and the life forms here. Mm-hmm. 
We're speaking with Penny Kelly, pennykelly.com. Your, your approach to all of this, Penny, is very, very refreshing. You're very open and willing to explore other possibilities. One of the things that I found really, really interesting in one of your books, and I can't remember which one it was, was that as you make your intentions clear and journey with that intention, the, if you delay too long, you will start drawing atoms and molecules together and manifest a body in an alternative reality. Can you explain to us a little bit about that and what that's all about? Yes. Um, the fact of the matter is consciousness creates. Mm -hmm. it, it, consciousness is, the, is one side of the coin of existence. Energy is the other side. So consciousness is the... Um, is the piece or is the thing that moves energy, and energy is um, the result of consciousness moving, okay? So it is the nature of consciousness to create. Therefore, what happens is if you get a group of particles together, they begin to communicate, and as they communicate, it, I like to use the example of a bunch of little kids who are on a playground and, you know, they're all showing off. <laughs> mm. And these particles are all communicating in such a way that they're saying to one another, this is what I do. Look at me. I can do this, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. And they begin to, um, to come together in ways that, uh, when you get a certain amount of energy to a certain stage of development and enough energy and power behind it and enough consciousness, what you get is a leap into what can become a pattern. And that pattern then creates a form. So if you hold your consciousness in a particular place and you renew something again, you renew an intention or a thought again and again, you will begin to manifest that. And I have experienced that in a couple different ways that were pretty surprising, pretty stunning. And one in which I manifested a spine um, and, and it appeared in front of me was gorgeous. It was, you know, we don't usually think of a spine as something that is beautiful, but this thing was beautiful. Huh. And um, and then I was out of the body and discovered that I couldn't, I couldn't hide very long because my consciousness had moved to, uh, had has evolved to a point that almost immediately a body begins to gather there where my consciousness is yes. and begins to solidify. And is that what happens when people see beings in their homes and in their environments? Is that is that what's actually happening? Or can you explain? Sometimes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sometimes it is. Um, I think I talk in, um, in Consciousness and Energy Volume 2 about a group that was, and I forget where I read this. I tried to find it, but I couldn't. Um, they were up in Canada, I believe, maybe Montreal, they had held a series of seances, and they had gotten interested in um, connecting, communicating with people on the other side. And so they decided to drop the seances and begin to gather 
every week instead of for seances to um, see if I could manifest a being. So they um, started this process and they put together a plan and the plan was they were going to manifest a male and uh, they were going to give him a name and they were going to give him a birth date and they were going to give him a set of skills and they were going to begin to communicate and educate this um, being and um, and slowly but surely this being began to take shape and form until I think it was a year after they started. They had a being who would appear and who could pick up and move objects in the room that they were in, mm-hmm. communicate with each one of them, and they became so frightened of what they had done mm-hmm. that they disbanded and left the poor being dangling there. Wow. And yes. So if he is, if he was together enough and had enough sense of self to begin to evolve, he could begin to evolve all by himself. Now that and begs the next question, Penny, about a, a personality like Jesus. When you consider that there's been 2,000 years of belief and manifesting and prayer around an individual, do you think then that this being was actually created by us humans because of the amount of attention and intention that we have put into it or him over the last 2,000 years? Oh, wow. Yes, I do. Mm. Bottom line is yes. Yeah. And um, there is a huge amount of evidence that is coming out now that indicates that um, there may have been someone who the idea of Jesus was modeled after, yes. and he may have been in the Middle Ages, but, you know, after even 500 years of how many millions on this planet praying, yes. thinking, you know, Turning to that being, uh, you know, projecting their desire for that being to have unlimited power and consciousness. Yes. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I asked you that question because I am of the understanding and the belief that we can manufacture these entities ourselves. And this is evidenced by people we've spoken to who've had near-death experiences. So let's say if a Catholic dies uh, or has a near-death experience, they'll come back telling about this wonderful character, Jesus or Mary or whoever was their prime belief character in their lives. But equally, if a Muslim or a Jew or a, or a, a Hindu or whoever dies, they will see those beings that they have prayed to and created in their own consciousness. And that used to puzzle me. When I'd say, well, hang on, you know, <laughs> who should they be seeing, you know? Should there be only one God that they're seeing? But it seems that they're going to see and witness what they have created themselves. That is absolutely true. Mm. And the whole illusion that we have of heaven and angels and God and certain certain beings being, you know, there and other beings being relegated to the dust or wherever, you know, the competing gods are, uh, they can't all be in in the same heaven. Well, there, you know, the truth is that a world only becomes a heaven world when it becomes an eternal world. So every planet with life on it has the opportunity, at least, to evolve to become a heaven world. But that has to happen in conjunction with all the beings on that planet. And so what typically happens 
when people um, pass to the other side and then return is that they are going to be greeted by their own constructions mm-hmm. um, to a huge extent. And um, and so it, you begin to see that it's really very important for us to acknowledge one another. Um, we would not exist if we did not have the recognition that you know we that among each other we have to recognize that we exist to one another, mm-hmm. so that when we pass to the next stage or level of of uh, physicality, which is not nearly as dense as this one, um, we can we can have those same beings there, and they are familiar, mm-hmm. and they are you know they're learning mm-hmm. and growing and changing, and so we all move together. Mm-hmm. Okay, now it, it it leads to the next question about prayer, and let me phrase the question this way: it, It's also my understanding, and I think I would have got this from like the the Egyptian Book of the Dead or various other books, that that prayer actually helps somebody move on after they've died from this, this, this fear of existence. What is the effect on that soul if people mm. keep praying to them for help? In other words, instead of helping boost them up for, towards ascension, let's say, for want of a better word, but they're drawing on them for help, you know? They're, they're pulling on their energy for guidance and support and help. Does that, yeah, like a saint, for example, what, what effect does that have on that being? Um, there's a couple of things that I think it's much more dynamic than what we have imagined. Okay, so let's say that um, that there's a being. Let's let's just use Saint Francis because our Pope just. Sure. You know, the name of Francis. So St. Francis um, is fairly well known. Um, And let's say that he has died and he is now on the other side Mm. and people are praying to him and praying for him and praying about him, etc. And so all of that is energy Mm -hmm. that is going toward that being. And it will be easier for him to heal. The task when you go to the other side is to heal yourself back to your perfection, your state of perfection. Mm -hmm. So all of that is happening. But now let's say that he's been, you know, he's like uh, somebody asking for something. That being, St. Francis, has a couple of different choices. He can get somebody who is stronger than he is to do the work that he's not able to do yet, to Mm -hmm. to make the miracle. he can say, I can't do this at all and I'm not interested, so, you know, hey, you guys, would you come and help these guys over here? Mm-hmm. Um, or he can um, hang around and say, you know, how uh, you know, how could I be of help and begin to learn how to have an effect and how to recognize a certain kind of um I'm going to call it uh, purity in the request, and I don't want that purity thing to go too far because it doesn't mean what most people think it does. Mm-hmm. But not only is it a, a from-the-heart request, but there's no interference that would be um, affected or caused in that person's life making the request if it were fulfilled. And so you have to be judging, and you can you can see a lot. You can see right through and everything about other beings. There are no secrets. 
Mm. Um, on the other side. So what if if uh, that saint, let's say Saint Francis or Saint Bernadette or whoever, whoever, has actually reincarnated again now? So they're on the planet in a physical body, and you still have all this imploring going on. In what way would it affect them in the physical? Uh, usually. Um Typically, I mean, sometimes there is a reincarnation, but um, that is something, ah, I hate to get into a whole big thing here. Let's just leave it at this. If, if they have reincarnated, reincarnated and there's all kinds of um, requests and whatever going on, that travels to the being that is here, mm-hmm. and they may begin to be aware that they are very drawn to the stories and the history of that saint mm-hmm. um, and the past, etc. But sometimes that's an interference. We should be praying to our higher self. Yes. Yeah. That's where all of our power and wisdom is. Yes. And you do not want to be interfering with somebody who has returned here with a specific task in mind. And so, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's really much more important that we begin to see, acknowledge, and develop our own power. Yes, and that indeed is, is summarizes what our core message has been for quite some number of years, that all too often people, including ourselves in the past, handed our power away to some other being, saint, priest, entity, whatever. And in fact, we did a, a fabulous um, group Akashic Record session one time on angels, archangels, and ascended masters. And I'll tell you, that was just absolutely wonderful. And the core message out of that was, you know, why are you handing your power away to some other being that you think is is better than you or knows more than you when there is nobody that knows more than you or there's none more connected to God's source than yourself. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, that is so true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, we could go down that road a lot longer and um, Angel Rose, she, she's not well. You may hear her coughing in the background and her voice is really, really gone. So she's been writing a few questions down on the card for me to ask you about death. Uh, obviously, it is part of mastery here to overcome death. How how does one begin to overcome death? What what can a person do? You know, um, it's really pretty simple. You just develop your consciousness to be present where you are present. It's that simple. And then, no matter what is happening with your body, your consciousness is pretty stable. Mm-hmm. So when you go to the other side. You say, oh, here I am, and there you are. <laughs> right. um, we need to move past the idea of death, uh, and, and somehow I don't know how we're going to do that, but we need to let go of this idea of death and the uh, it's just a tremendous amount of ignorance and fear around mm-hmm. it, and talk about moving upward, ascending, or you know, evolving a little bit, something, anything besides the concept of death. Yes. Um, that's just a given, as yes. far as I'm concerned. And do you think then that a person has the possibility or the potential to take their body with them, or is that is it more a light body that they would be taking if they overcome this concept yeah. of death? Um, it can go either way. You can take your body with you. You have to be somewhat 
uh, pretty seriously developed and pretty able to focus. Um, I think years ago, I don't know if I mentioned this once before, um, there was a, a CNN or a, an NPR news report on the morning edition or something like that. I think it was morning edition. And it was about a monk who was meditating, an older guy um, who had decided he was it was time for him to leave. This was probably about 15 years ago. And um, he went into the meditation room and said, don't bother me, don't bring me any food, don't bring me any water. I'm going to leave here. He said his goodbyes, sat down to meditate. And I think they said he had been meditating for about two to three weeks. And all of a sudden, his body just dissolved, and he was gone. Uh, <laughs> I never heard that one. That's an interesting story. Yeah, I was Ooh. really amazed on yeah. NPR. Yep. Wow. Yes, yes, interesting. Let's move towards sleep and dreaming and astral travel. Mm-hmm. Many people would warn about astral traveling, and others would say, oh, it's fantastic. What's your, what's your own thoughts about going into the astral, whether in a dream state or consciously traveling? You know, I tend to think that, uh, again, it comes back to development of consciousness, but if you have any ability to travel um, or any interest in traveling, um, do it. It will evolve you very, very quickly. You will begin to clear out the cobwebs. You will begin to get rid of and dump the fears. You will begin to recognize that something, the fact of the matter is that you are going to, you can create, you will create congruently no matter what world you are in because your consciousness is at a certain stage. And it isn't the environment or the world that you happen to be visiting. It is your consciousness that is um, the key piece there. You can respond to that world, etc. But hands down, if you get into something that's frightening or fearful, you you should have practiced beforehand um, a few techniques that I learned from the Lowman and Brown robes. One is absolute and utter stillness. You get absolutely silent, you don't move a muscle, and you just focus yourself inside yourself. Don't even, I mean, not a single vibration is moving. And then you remove yourself back to your, the body that you know you have, um, that you astral traveled out of, and you're perfectly safe. Mm -hmm. And people do it all the time because they, even after a nightmare, they return quickly and sometimes frantically to the body. But most of that creation that occurred is the result of something that they need to deal with in their everyday life here. Mm -hmm. And once you begin to deal with that, all of the fear and all of the, we'll call it the monsters, disappear. So the astral then is... it, It can be used as a place to manifest and to grow. Yep, that's right. That's right. And and if we understood how easily and well we do that, I think it would it would probably blow most people's minds. They don't really believe that they're creating the experience here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But when you get out into the astral, 
what you see is by God I am because you can make things happen or change what's happening mm. by just staying calm and centered and saying, no, I'm not going to have any of that. So you'd recommend somebody learning lucid dreaming? Oh, yes, yes. That is really a very, um, it's one of the basic skills. Um, it is something that is um, so useful, so yes. useful. I can't begin to... Tell us one of your stories. Uh, in, in your various books, Penny Kelly, your stories are absolutely wonderful about the various levels of dreams. You, you, were, you were in multiple layers of dreams, one after another. Yeah. And, I, and I have to say, my God, what a, what a possibility that was. What an amazing story. Can you just recount one of those quickly for us now? Well, I think probably one of the uh, more interesting ones that was in uh, Volume 1 I was, I woke up, it was, I believe it was a Saturday morning, and I, and I was laying in bed, and I was thinking about the day, and, and et cetera, and, and the, the truth was that I wasn't awake at all, just dreamed I had awakened. Right. And then, you know, I, so I thought, well, let me lay here and practice some of my breathing. Mm -hmm. So I'm laying there, and I do this breath work, it's very, very powerful, and this particular day, all of a sudden, it awakened Kundalini, and so now the whole room began to shake and rumble, and, mm -hmm. and you know, and I'm seeing these currents of energy and lightning flashing, mm -hmm. and I'm thinking, whoa, this is getting out of control. I need to, you know, maybe I need to get up and, you know, start my day. Yeah. So I get out of bed, and I go downstairs. And I'm looking for, I was married at the time, I'm looking for my husband, Jim. Yeah. And somebody said, oh, he's in the basement working. Yeah. And we had had a water heater problem. He was, they said he was down there working on the water heater. So I go downstairs and I, you know, I come up behind him and I, I sort of wrap my arms around his belly and lay my cheek on his back because he's bent mm. over, busy doing something. Mm. And, you know, and I'm just kind of, smuggling up behind him and all of a sudden he stands up and turns around and it wasn't Jim and I was like oh my god Ooh. you know and so I backed away and I'm looking at this strange man yeah. in the basement and saying I'm sorry you know who are you and yeah. and he didn't say anything and all of a sudden um you know I shifted to I, I woke up and at that point thought Oh my God, this is the third time I have waked up this morning. The first, you know, was into this, you know, place where I was just laying there. Then I woke up again and started the breathing process, and yes. then I woke up again. So that was like a the third a dream nested inside another dream inside another That's dream. That's right. Wow. Yes. yes, and it really was a period of time in which I was having a great deal of difficulty discerning Am I in the right reality? Because yes. I had um, been in a number of realities. And what you discover is that every single moment in time has dozens of options where maybe only one thing in that entire scenario is different. Maybe the cup is sitting on the east end of the table instead of the west end of the table. Mm -hmm. It's little details like that. And most of us are not paying attention to even the big details, let alone the fine details. Right. And is there a, a, 
danger is the wrong word, but let me ask the question anyway. Is there a danger that somebody might wake up and leave a part of themselves in that dreamscape, in the, one of the levels of that dream? Do you, do you understand my question? Yes, yes. And every dream that you have, you hmm. leave a little part of yourself. Oh. Every single dream, every single thought, you leave a little part of yourself. So now let me say this. Mm. Let's say that you want to develop Christ consciousness. You want to be totally present, totally in your power. Mm. A, you're never going to need sleep again. B, you're going to be totally quiet and silent inside yourself. And that means that you are going to have the time and the freedom and the space to observe and to see everything and know everything. You become all-knowing. You become all-powerful. You become everywhere present. That is a pretty good definition of full development of consciousness. And you would and have had to pick up all your parts and pieces in order to do that. That's right. Yes. So yes. you're no longer going out and doing anything that you haven't consciously decided to do. And when you do that, you consciously take all of yourself and you consciously bring yourself back. So there's no bits and pieces of yourself scattered all over the place. Right, right. Now, the next question that I have to ask you, Penny, is what's the purpose of all of that? Oh, it's too simple. It's the <laughs> purpose. <laughs> you know, the whole purpose of everything is to sustain life. Life is about life. It's just that clear if it let's just say this way um there is we need to sustain life so that we can have life it is you know there's always been life but there hasn't always been life in the particular form that we know it on this planet in this reality system mm -hmm. now i happen to like this reality system very, very much. I've been in quite a few others, but I like this one. Mm. And so in order for this to be sustained, we need millions of people paying attention to the little details in their corner of the world and how those details work and how life is fostered and nurtured. And then when they move to the next stage of living, which is the next world, they take that knowledge with them and they recreate that. So and so that's how we move slowly, gradually toward becoming an eternal world where everything is made of light. And that then is, it is a world that can then begin to seed other worlds with its knowledge and its wisdom. You cannot seed another world until you have learned to nurture only life. Right. And do you think, Penny, that is the... That's what keeps people from feeling happy in the here and now. Um, the, what keeps them from feeling happy? You know, in the here be, now? being aware of every moment, every everything, every item, everything. You know how you how you described that growth of awareness, how you described that ascension to Christ consciousness, gathering the awareness together. Is, is that what keeps people from feeling happy right now? Because they're they're scattered. You know, our attention is, is everywhere. Yes. Yes. When you get into the higher ranges of consciousness, you automatically enter into states of profound peace. 
profound joy and ecstasy. It comes with the territory. Now, when you're down here, especially if you're down here and, and you're not getting any nutrition, you're going to be depressed just from the lack of nutrition because depression is the result of not enough nutrition. And then you've got all these, you know, these systems and all these um, forms of culture that have all these rules, et cetera, and you're busy focused out there mm-hmm. instead of focusing in yourself. Yes. And so the, the task of being in the world but not of it is really a big piece of work for most people. And when you don't have yourself in a pile, so to speak, um, you're not going to be able to experience um, very much joy. Only as much joy as what your little pile will allow. Well, speaking of only so much, there's only so much that we can cover in the short time we have today with Penny Kelly. So we would love, we want to direct people to your websites and to your books. Do you want to give us a quick rundown how people might contact you, Penny? Yeah, sure. Um, My website is uh, pennykelly.com. No extra E's, you know, your name. And um, my books, there's six books, and they're all available on Amazon. All you really have to do is do a search uh, for Penny Kelly, and they should come up. Mm-hmm. Great. Okay. Penny, it's been an absolute delight speaking with you. You're so refreshing. Your outlook on everything is really, really wonderful. And we will promote this interview for people to listen to because really your outlook on Everything is just really, really wonderful. Now, by way of a little summary, let me just remind people we've been speaking to Penny Kelly on the Honest to God series with Angel Rose and Ahana. We spoke about children and how they learn. We spoke about Penny's meeting with the men in brown robes and the effect that had on her. We spoke about the environmental impact of farming and farming practices. We briefly touched on the Mayan calendar in 2012 and earth changes and all of that and how that's all leading to increases in frequency. We touched on money and complementary currencies. We had a little chat about ETs and crop circles and life on other planets. We spoke about manifesting with intent, with consciousness and energy. And we had a discussion about near-death experiences, what is expected in life after death. We spoke about overcoming death and then we touched on lucid dreaming and astral travel and being happy and living in the now. Now that has been an absolutely wonderful discussion, Penny. Really, really, I can't say enough about it or praise you enough. And we have all your books and not all of them read right now, but we're getting through them and each one more fascinating than the last. So unfortunately, we have to draw to a close, Penny, we thank you most sincerely for being with us today. You are so welcome. It is always a delight. Okay, we leave it at that. Thank you again, and God bless. Same to you. Thank you. This is the Art of Living Well Radio Network. Radio to inspire enlightened living. The Honest to God series with Anne Gail Rose and Ahanu.